In a previous episode, I mentioned off-market purchases of firearms, which I'm going to clarify so that we don't have any confusion about that, and also going to require us to talk about other markets. What off-market really is, as I call it, which is the black market, but there's also the gray market, the white market, and if you haven't heard of them, the pink and the red markets. We'll discuss those, understand what they are, and answer a viewer's question that brought up my comment on off-market purchases. We want to understand what these things are, how they're used in clandestine operations in the world of the gray man, and how to make sure that we do things legally and don't get ourselves in trouble. And that's what we'll talk about right here on Gray Man, Hiding in Plain Sight. Welcome to episode 29, where we're going to discuss the black market and other markets used to traffic or legally sell goods and services. Important description to make at the beginning before getting too detailed, because it is services as well as goods. Sometimes people think it's just goods because of the movies. I did mention in a previous episode words to the effect of off-market purchase regarding firearms, and I want to clarify that as I did for a viewer. Decided to turn this into a show, even though I already sent him a response. What I was suggesting there was purchasing weapons illegally, which I never endorse. That's a serious crime and can be easily avoidable, but it's also easy to commit that crime for people who don't know what they're doing with firearms or other local laws. Now, I want to give a shout out on Twitter to Woody for his question. who's enjoying this podcast. He recently discovered it. And he did mention a question regarding a passing comment you made in an episode. You said something along the lines of, it's not that hard to get a firearm off market. I was wondering how you would do that as a former operative. I live out in the sticks and have bought from people in the paper trading post, but I don't think it's still around. For those who aren't familiar, that is an actual legitimate paper that's used to sell goods and items just like Craigslist is now digital. Imagine Craigslist is a newspaper for all you young folks out there. I like the idea of having a few around for protection and hunting that the government doesn't know I have. If you don't feel comfortable answering, I understand, but any tips would be awesome. Well, Woody, I'm glad you're enjoying the show and thank you for your question. So I want to expound for the other listeners. We will get into the markets in a second, but just to clarify what I should have said in that episode, because I'm not endorsing illegal purchase of firearms or any goods or services. Standard disclaimer, this is not meant for you to commit a crime. And I'm saying that because if you commit a crime, you try to blame me. It's not going to work out for you. So to clarify, there's a lot of reasons why people want to have firearms that are unregistered. Fact is, that would be fallen under the Second Amendment. And most people do believe that, that are Second Amendment supporters. And in some states, there's different varying laws on the purchase and acquisition and carrying of firearms than another state because there's no federal standard down to that level. While there are some federal guidelines when it comes to individual purchases, federal guidelines don't go much beyond requirements for background checks in certain situations. Now, to clarify exactly how a firearm is tracked when you buy it from somebody with a federal firearms license called an FFL, which there are several versions of, find somebody that has an FFL license that doesn't have any customers in their store unless you've got a buddy holding a license and have them explain to you the legal requirements for purchasing as a firearm. When you fill out that form, how long do they maintain that form and where does it go? That helps you understand how well that's tracked. Now, while there is an expiration time period, they keep that paperwork on file. If you are required to call in for the background check, then that, of course, is a registration lease you attempted to purchase a firearm and whatever applicable information goes with that. And some people don't like that. But in some states, you have laws like in Arizona, where if you're a concealed weapons permit holder, you fill out the form, but they don't have to make the call because you're considered complete on your background check. So that changes the game depending on the state. So it's important to know your state laws. From there, you can go on to online purchases where you can purchase a firearm from an online dealer that gets sent to a dealer near you. You still follow the same protocols for purchasing and acquiring that firearm. So again, that still depends on your state laws. Most states allow for a private party sale or person-to-person sale, as I call them, with certain guidelines. So in some states, 
the only requirement you have is to verify that they live in that state where some states might add on you have to ask them if they're a felon then some states do require you to go and transfer that weapon through a dealer a licensed holder some states require you to go to law enforcement to have it transferred some states like nevada if they still do it actually have a card that stays with that firearm whenever it's transferred to another person now, whether or not you agree with these practices or think they're about your rights, that's not what this is for. It's just to explain to the general audience or people in other countries some guidelines and ideas about gun ownership in America that will address this question. And typically, I believe in all states, if you travel to a state you're not a resident to, I don't believe there's a state where you can do a private party sale. I may be wrong on that. There may be some states that allow it, but I know here in Arizona, you can only sell to another Arizona resident. So while I don't recommend illegal purchases, let's go into the legal route. First, understand what your state laws are. So here in Arizona, if I want to buy a private party firearm, I have a state ID, they have a state ID, that's a legal sale. The only requirement is for the seller to find out from the buyer if they're in fact a prohibited possessor. Their only legal requirement really to ask that question. There's no way for them to entirely know if that's in fact the case. Now let's say that's where it ends. You make the sale, you purchase a firearm. That's not on public record anywhere that you are the owner of that firearm, but that doesn't make you protected. That's important to note. I always recommend for private party sales, people use a written receipt with the current name, address, and either concealed weapon permit number or driver's license number of the buyer and seller, as well as the make, model, and serial number of that firearm. Now, I know everybody doesn't do that, and that's fine. It's everybody's right. If you don't like that, then don't do it. I'm just telling you that's what I do, and here's why. If I sell a firearm to somebody, and then they use it in a crime or it's stolen from them or used in a crime or they sell it to somebody else and it's used in a crime. I bought that in a way that could be tracked back to me. Somebody's going to come talk to me. So I want to have the paperwork to send the police in the right direction. If I buy a firearm from somebody, do it completely legally. I'm out somewhere shooting legally here in the state of Arizona and for some reason the sheriff comes up and they decide they want to run my guns, which are situations which they can legally do that. And then they find out that that's a hot gun, meaning it's stolen or is using a crime, I'm on the hook for it. So again, I want to have the paperwork to send that in the right direction. Now, that being said, if you don't want to do it, I do have a tip for you to ensure your firearm is more likely to be legal with no guarantee. If you're not familiar with firearms, if there's a firearm you're looking at buying private party, you want to do two things. One, you want to look it up online and see what the current sales are for that or the most current model of it. And you want to go to gunbroker.com, find out what is it commonly being sold for in the United States. I've seen online private party gun sales where people have sold or listed for sale guns for $200, $300. They're every bit legitimately worth six or 700 bucks or even $1,000. My first thought, that's a stolen weapon. Sometimes they'll add on what I'll call a sob story about why they need the money that may very well be true, but I steer clear of those firearms in case it is in fact a stolen weapon. It's not hard to tell an unverifiable story to make a sale. The other thing you can do too is some people call it a gun show loophole. That doesn't really exist. There's no such thing as a loophole. You go to a gun show and buy from a dealer with an FFL license, you have to follow the same protocols. If they don't make you follow those protocols, whether you know it or not, you've both broken the law. Gun shows also allow for private party individuals to get tables and make sales. And if they make a sale and you live in state and they do it legally, there's no background check required in Arizona. Some states there are. So again, you have to know the laws when you go into a gun show to make sure you're purchasing or selling legally. If you're looking to get into private party sales, there used to be a website called Backpage that's been shut down because there was a lot of human trafficking and legal activity going on there. That's why you don't see things like dating sections of Craigslist anymore. Now there's a website that's been around even when Backpage was still here called Arms List that you can go on there and search for firearms or search by state and see what's available. So if you want to buy private party that way, you go to Arms List, 
look up your firearm, choose the private party option. The other thing you can do is go to GunBroker. GunBroker is like eBay for firearms and related equipment to be sold legally. When you go on there and you're looking for a firearm, also see if it's being sold in your state. If you're familiar with your state laws, arms list, you contact a seller directly. On GunBroker, you can message them through the system like eBay and tell them, hey, you're in Arizona, I'm in Arizona, you're in Tucson, I'm in Casa Grande, which is close to Tucson. Would you be interested in meeting in the middle to make this sale? Sometimes people will do that. Sometimes they don't. They want to go through official channels, which is fine to me. I understand people's rights and people's interpretations of those rights, which most will argue to their death as an interpretation. I just simply say that I choose not to buy or sell unless I know somebody very, very well without a written receipt when it comes to firearms or any destructive device. And I don't mean by legal classification, any destructive or dangerous equipment of any type. No different to me than selling an automobile. Regardless of the reasoning, I get a little skeptical of any buyer or seller that absolutely doesn't want to show their ID and doesn't want to fill out paperwork. One, they're required in the state to show ID, but even if they do that, they don't want to sign or do any paperwork. I don't make the sale or the purchase. Every time this has happened, there's always been a lengthy conversation since soon. I've just walked away. I told them, look, I, I get your position. They don't know I'm presuming there may be a sketchy reason there. I'm protecting myself, but I tell them, I understand your position. I just choose not to do that. That's all. So again, this is very loose and this is very brief, but do understand your gun laws and how to make sales. Also learn about gun trusts and how to get a gun trust started to have your gun trust hold your firearms, which can be helpful. Also learn about insurance for people carrying firearms in case you're involved in a shooting. If you have that insurance and you have a gun trust that can protect you a lot more than just a regular guy on the street that knows the laws and has a good lawyer. Now, one other tip I will tell you when it comes to firearms, it's no different than any other important thing. Anything you have large amounts of, like let's say you're a prepper, for example. If it is possible, you don't keep everything in one place. So presuming we're doing this legally, I'm not giving you advice on any illegal things, but presuming you're doing this legally, you have a concern that one day somebody's going to come to your house and take all your guns. In the same way you're worried about somebody with a gun coming into your house if the economy collapses and taking all your food. So what do you do? Don't store it all there. Have caches, storage points, other locations you can keep that stuff in. It's the same recommendations I give for hard copy and digital information of personal records and other things like that that I have written down to do a whole show about, which will be at another time. So why is this important? Well, we want to answer his question, but it's a good lead into understanding the different markets on how things are bought and sold. Everything that's bought, sold, or traded is part of a market system. Now, just as I described, too, that some gun laws vary a little bit from state to state in this country, it's important to note that gun laws vary in other countries. Why is that important? There are items for sale that you can buy or purchase that in one country may be a black market item and another country may be a white market or a gray market or a pink market item. Or maybe it just depends on the province or territory or tribal lands that you're in. This makes a great determination to a clandestine officer on what they're going to purchase and where. Where the more danger is, how realistically can they get to it? Is it something they need to buy under a cover identity or is it something they're going to buy illicitly, which would be the black market? Or something they're going to buy in another area because it's frowned upon, but it's completely legal. So to start with, the easiest one to understand is actually the white market. The white market is something that's typically regulated. It's governed. There's usually laws involved, treaties, regular everyday sales. Trade between countries that's documented is white market. Going to Walmart is white market. Selling person to person is white market, presuming this is all a legal sale and a legal purchase. So if you go on a Craigslist and you want to buy a lawnmower from a guy, you go check the lawnmower out, 
runs fine, you give them the 60 bucks for it, that's a white market purchase. Now, while not completely regulated, it is governed to a point. What I mean by that, it's something that's official and legal or authorized, intended for regular market of goods and services. So it doesn't just have to be goods, it can be services. So if you go to, it's funny that this is what came to mind. If you go to a legitimate massage parlor where there's no happy endings, but you go to a massage parlor as part of, say, a medical recovery, that is a service, not a good, but that is a white market transaction. If you have a babysitter come to your house and you pay them cash or trade them goods or services for what they're doing, that is also a white market transaction. Now, before we go further, we want to understand that regardless of morals, laws dictate what white market is. So there are things that are white market in this country that are not white market in other countries. There's things that are white market in other countries that would be black market here. Prime example, there's countries where you can marry a nine-year-old which is immoral, sick, and gross, but it's considered white market if it's part of their existing laws or their existing practices. Whereas here, that'd be totally black market. Now, while not considered a good or a service, it is a transaction of a type because it's a legal binding contract. Even if in some countries, the way they do it isn't the same binding contract that we use. It's a marketing of a good or service. And it's actually important to mention that because while you might want to argue it, Things like marriage do come in later in some of these other markets. Think about countries where they have Sharia law without getting into our opinions of that. There are things they can do like the stoning of women or the beatings or even executions, beheadings based on how Sharia law works. In certain areas, that is a white market act, a white market transaction. However, those areas are very, very few. Most of the time where those are allowed, they're not actually white market. Sometimes, if not most of the time, because I picked those two, the marrying a nine-year-old or the beating of a woman or the beheadings, as very extreme examples, are things that could be covered in what we call the red or pink markets. A pink market is something that is, you could argue, is frowned upon, but is state-sanctioned, usually considered immoral even by the state or by other people or other related associated states or governments. So looking at Sharia law, there's a lot of places where Sharia law is allowed to happen or is a part of the existing government or the existing government's world affairs position and things they're trying to change. They don't necessarily take steps or have gotten to the point of taking steps to correct or alter that behavior, but it's still considered legal by either religious or government means, but it's frowned upon and considered wrong and immoral and therefore it counts as pink market. You know what else falls in that category? Torture whether it violates the Geneva Convention, the Hague Convention, or any other law, in some places, torture could be considered pink market. If you're wondering why that is, something like torture is actually a service. Because what you're doing, you're one, probably employed by somebody and doing it for them, even if it's your own organization, and you're doing it as an exchange of information, which is in a service. You're just not doing it by asking questions the nice way, you're doing it through torture. I bring these points up just to drive home the idea that it's more than just goods, it's also services. And it's important to understand that. Look at prostitution. If prostitution is legal, that's a white market transaction. It is a service. Whereas in other places, it may be pink market, as funny as that name might sound, meshing prostitution. Could be red market, could also be black or gray market, could be in any market. Look at marijuana in the United States. In some states, marijuana is now legal. And following the laws and the practices you're supposed to, you can go purchase marijuana legally. That's a white market transaction. But at the same time, if the way in which you purchase that violates existing federal law, 
It also counts as a black market transaction at the same time. That's just to point out sometimes laws disagree with each other. And who's to say which one's right? Probably should be the voters. Now to add on to pink market, there's red market. All red market is is activities that are banned by the state that may still happen. So going back to torture, if a state bans torture and some organization in that state practices torture, that would be considered red market. Let's look at Cuban cigars. You know it's not illegal to own them. As long as you get actual Cubans before the date that embargo came in, you can still buy them uh, legally. There's one by Camacho called Pre-Embargo 1962. Wonderful set of cigars, about five for a hundred bucks. Tastes like trail mix. Love those things. Legit Cubans that are legal because of when they were made. Now, if you went and bought illegal Cubans and you bought them in the United States, most people tell you that's a black market item. By definition, it would be a red market item because it's been banned. Even though most banned things are listed as things that are immoral, you could argue it's a red market or a black market item. So why is all this important? Well, let's say that cigar is something more important to a clandestine officer in another country. And let's say in one country, in this case Cuba, it's a completely legal purchase, but it could be a dangerous area for you to be in. However, in the other country, being America, it's illegal. But there's probably a way you can find them, even though you have to use the underworld and the black market system. You have to decide which area can I get to, what prices am I going to be charged, and which one's the most danger, and what's the risk, benefit, analysis, we'll say, of acquiring this item. Without the markets, look at it as a used car. You want to go buy a new car, but you also see the used car is cheaper. It's a couple years older, only got four or 5,000 miles, but it's significantly cheaper. Well, some people would argue the older car is broken. Some say, well, you should get it inspected by a mechanic because there might be other issues with it. Some people say the new car is going to come with a basic warranty. And then other people are going to tell you, well, the new car drops value once you drive off a lot. Some people tell you that more likely the newer the car is, especially brand new, you're probably going to have cheaper insurance because it's in good mechanical shape and has a warranty. Whereas a car that's five, eight, ten years old, you may not have as low of insurance unless it's really old with a lot of miles. But if it's only a few years old, the insurance may not be as cheap as a brand new one. Not to mention financing. Look at finance rates are different depending on half the age of the car if it's old or new. That's just a comparison example of how we look at these black, white, gray, pink, red market items. So where we get into the gray area on the gray man is the gray market. I just wanted to say gray three times. So I'm going to read you one definition of this because it's going to be easier to explain the definition than to try to explain it without it. Think of a gray market in which commodities or items are distributed through channels which, while are legal, are considered unofficial, unauthorized, or unintended by the manufacturer. So an example is bootleg items. When I was in Iraq, we used to buy these bootleg videos that we could watch of movies. Sometimes they were bad quality, shaky cam. Sometimes they are good quality. Sometimes they were just spoken in English with subtitles in an Asian language where it was released earlier, vice versa. And they were bootleg items. That could be considered a gray or a black market item, depends on where you're at. In Kuwait, they were a black market item. You weren't supposed to buy them. When we got in Iraq, at least the way it was explained to us, they encouraged it. They would let you do it. It got people on the base to make money, got to develop intelligence relationships with locals. Yeah, there's a threat there, but that's what we did. And that was a gray market item because although it was an official, or I'm sorry, it was an unofficial channel compared to a regular store, it definitely was not distributed in the way that the manufacturer or maker of that movie intended, but in that country at that time, that would meet the definition of gray market, whereas in Kuwait it was a black market item. 
let's take a look at counterfeit versus knockoff items. The only difference is the word. Counterfeit suggests illegal, probably black market. Knockoff suggests not illegal, probably authorized or admitted, and probably gray or white market. So regardless of the intent of the manufacturer, you find a coach handbag being sold on the streets in New York, and they're trying to tell you it's an authentic coach handbag for real cheap, because of the way in which they're selling it to you, that is now a black market item. If they're completely honest about it and being legitimately true about what it is and where it came from and why it's that price and you choose to buy it, that would fall more under gray market, assuming it doesn't break any laws. You got to remember, it doesn't count as gray market if it's illegal where it's being sold or the manner in which it's being sold. So let's take this back to the beginning with the firearms. You go to a store, you see an FFL, you pick out a gun, they do the background check, you fill out the paperwork purchase it, you take the gun home, no question, that's a white market sale. However, if it's what's called a straw purchase, where you follow all those steps, but you're actually buying it for somebody else, then that is no longer a white market sale. That's illegal. It's a black market sale, even though the seller didn't know it. It's the buyer who's breaking the rules, not the seller. If you do a person-to-person gun sale and you do it legally, according to state and federal laws, it's a white market sale. What would be an example of a gray market sale person to person? Well, as long as it's being done legally, let's say they just lie to you about what they have, you could consider that gray market. Another example of gray market, though, would be what about people that make items that they sell legally? Those are actually gray market and not white market items because they're not controlled through creation and distribution by any guidelines, laws, or regulated means unless you have a business. So let's say you make furniture in your garage and you choose to sell it or you refinish furniture, for an example. Those are gray market sales, even though they're completely legal, only because it's not something that you bought and sold. It's something that you created. So it technically counts as gray market and not white market. Now you turn it into a business and get a business license and you do all the steps like that to make it a business. Now we're getting into the white market realm. So don't think of gray market as illegal. Gray market is typically completely legal. It's just the manner in which it's done or distributed. Mostly it's going to be distributed. So the reason this is all important is just goes back to my Cuban cigar example. Where are you buying stuff? You know, when I was in Kuwait, a lot of soldiers used to get hookahs. We'd have the interpreters pick them up for us. And they would tell us where and how they're buying them. So we knew if they were making a white market sale or a gray market sale, even though nobody used those terms, because of what was safe for them. Now let's put a little twist on things. The buying and selling of cocaine is illegal in the United States. So there's no question about that. That would be black market trafficking of drugs, right? What about an undercover cop who makes a buy to do a bust? They're following the law in the sense of that's in the accordance with the operation and what they're doing to enforce a lie. Therefore, it's legal for them to make the purchase, even though the other guy's illegally making the sale. They're actually participating in a black market transaction but it's not illegal to make that transition because it's part of a law enforcement investigation. Put that on a bigger scale. Look up the Iran-Contra affair if you're not familiar with it. Just look it up and make your own decision. But a lot of people argue that it's not necessarily what they did that was illegal. It was the manner in which they did it. I'm not putting an opinion down on that. I'm just saying that those types of transactions go at all levels. Based on our current operations in Afghanistan and all the poppy fields they have there that becomes opium, Depending on where it is, the time frame it's been, who was in control of it, how the trafficking and transportation of it was going, we classified that anything from white, black to gray market. It just really depended because it fluctuates some time, even in the same places. 
Again, this comes down to knowing your laws, to know what's safe. Don't put yourself in danger. Stay away from the black market is my recommendation always. I can tell you that in accordance with my duties and the positions I've filled working for this government at different cabinet departments, that I have in fact participated in all these markets at some level, whether just observed it or directly participated in it in a completely legal fashion. And I'm only saying that because I know somebody's going to ask me that question. So think of the phrase, don't keep all your eggs in one basket. While that comes back to the, what I said earlier about having all your firearms or important items or important documents in one location, not multiple locations in case something happens, it also pertains to what about when you need to fill up your own basket? Do you want to take all your eggs from the same chicken or do you want to take them from different chickens in different hen houses? Sometimes in the clandestine world, in order to put several things together, we get them in different locations. So if you think about movies, especially action movies, um, you'll see guys go into stores, they go in a hardware store and they pick up 10, 15 randoms, random items and then they go make weapons and bombs or something to break somebody out of prison. While that's not completely unreasonable, what I will tell you in the clandestine world, why they would probably purchase all those items, they wouldn't do it at the same place. They'd get them at separate locations. They'd also typically make those acquisitions over a period of time using different people. And the locations would probably be spread over several counties or even states, depending on what they're doing. And to point out in the clandestine world, that's not because they're breaking any laws. It's because they're trying to not have established patterns. They're trying to track if they're being followed. They're trying not to be seen or found out. And they're trying to protect their mission and identity in order to accomplish whatever it is they're doing. So just like I've said, a real Jason Bourne would never have a single bank you could walk into and find all of his identities, all of his money, and everything that's important to him. You would also never find somebody walking into a store buying everything they need in one transaction in one location at one single time. That just wouldn't happen. I can tell you right now, if I want to go buy 10 prepaid Visa cards, it'll probably take me two months to do it, and I won't do it all. Well, definitely not all in this portion of Arizona, let alone do it all in Arizona. I also won't coordinate purchases over different geographical distances that can be matched up with any normal travel I'm already doing. I will make those trips separately to make those purchases, and that's just out of habit, and I like road trips. So think of it like diversifying your portfolio, diversifying your money, having different investments, different bank accounts. You do the same thing with all this stuff. Don't keep it all in one place. Look for different ways to acquire it. Make sure you know your laws so you know if you're making a white or gray market purchase. I'd kind of just stick to those and ignore the other three. That's not something you want to dabble in. Just remember always to be smart and plan ahead. So I hope this helped you out. I definitely did my best to answer that question. Hope you learned a little bit about black, white, gray, even the pink and red fun markets where all the crazy stuff happens. And if you got any questions, definitely send them to me and I'll do my best to answer. I'll either put it on a podcast, send it directly. I'll even do follow-ups to questions on previous podcasts. And if you send me a good question in audio form, I will throw it up on the podcast, and if it's something I deem good enough, I'm definitely going to let you know if you want a free book. If i got some different books here on detecting deception, body language, and reading emotions, as well as a few other trinkets, I'll definitely send them your way. Thank you for listening, and we'll chat with you soon right here on Gray Man, Hiding in Plain Sight.